for a little bit longer. I was like, oh no, <laughs> I have to say something. That's all right. So good morning. Welcome. We're so glad you're here with us worshiping the Lord together this morning. We're going to worship in song. We're going to hear from God's word. It's going to be a great time of being together as God's people. We're going to start our service as we have in weeks past with our opening song. So if you would stand, we're going to sing together Cornerstone.
Let's bow before the Lord in prayer. Our Father, we stand before you as your people, in whom and on whom you are at work to refashion us into your image. We thank you for that work that began when, at a point in time, whether at home or at church or reading the Bible or in conversation with a Christian friend, we heard the gospel message and you moved on our hearts to draw us to yourself. And we embraced that message and the Savior who is central to it. From that day forward, you have been remaking us into what we were originally made to be. Reflections of your character in the way we think and talk and act. You're doing this work in the circumstances of our lives that you have sovereignly assigned so that we grow in you because of those circumstances, not in spite of them. Because we have your spirit and your word, we look at the world and the events of our lives through radically transformed lenses so that although we suffer the effects of others' sin and we sin ourselves, we see your hand in our situations and we see your grace and mercy in our failures. And so, Father, we thank you for the reorientation you are producing in us, gradually but surely reversing the disorientation that's been caused by sin. And that's why we're gathered in your presence, to praise you for that work, but also to participate today in seeing that work advanced as we learn of you and apply your truth to our lives. And so we ask you to aid us in those most blessed tasks so that those goals are achieved in this sacred time together. And we ask that you accept our worship because it's offered to you and you alone in profound gratitude. We ask all of this in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and all of God's people said, Amen. Thank you, and please be seated. I'd like to say welcome and good morning as well. Glad that you could join us this morning to worship the Lord together, and we especially want to welcome any of you who are with us for the first time today. Glad you could be our guests, and uh, we have tried to make it as simple as possible for you to let us know if there's anything we could do to help you or any questions about CBC that we can answer. So if you text the, the word CBC Connect to the number 9700, 9700000, three zeros, uh, you'll get a link back to our connection form as well as some shortcuts to some important things on our website, upcoming events and things like that. Let us know you're a guest, let us know what questions you have and we'll respond and help in any way we can. And in fact, we're, we're happy that you're here with us today. If it's your first time, uh, we'd love to give you a, just a gift, a token of our appreciation for being with us today. And so at our welcome desk, which is out here in our cafe community area, um, you can stop by, let them know that it's your first time being with us. And they've got a, a small gift there just to say thank you. In fact, if you've been with us before but have never received one of those gifts, do stop by there as well and let them know. Wanted to let you know of a couple of things, draw your attention to some, uh, some resources we make available on a regular basis here at CBC. And the first is our podcast. Uh, the latest episode of our podcast, which is called That's a Good Question, came out yesterday at two as it does every week. Every Saturday at two, we have a new episode. And uh, we've been talking a lot about what God says about his church and its mission in recent episodes. And in this week's episode, we discuss the question, what kinds of ministries should a church have? So we cover um, how to structure a church's ministries in order to best pursue its mission. So if you haven't already, I encourage you to watch that 
or listen to it, you can find it at our website, on our YouTube channel, or on your favorite podcast app. And then as well, our blog, Church Matters blog, the latest article, The Burden of Proof, highlights the importance uh, of an important theme we've touched on several times this past year, prizing truth and uh, makes specific application in light of some current events. So please check that out as well if you haven't already. And then not a lot of events going on this week at CBC, but a couple things I do want to remind you of. Our home groups, our community groups, which meet on the first and third Sundays of every month, are off until July 18th. So the next normal meeting time would be July 4th, and for the holiday, we're, we're taking that week off. So community groups meet again on July 18th. And if you're not a part of a community group but would like to learn more about them or take part in a community group, you can find out more at cbctrenton.com or use our connection form. There's a box to check that you'd like to know more about community groups, and we'll get back to you on that. And then as well, just a little bit further out but not much further out, is our senior high camp, summer camp. That trip is July 7th through 10th, and uh, the students are going to be traveling to Pentwater, Michigan for their camp. And over the years, as someone who's done youth ministry for a long time, I just want to emphasize to our parents what an important time it is to build community for our group, to uh, help them grow closer together, and uh, to help them refocus on their mission as a group. So if you haven't registered your teens already, I encourage you, consider signing them up. That's available on our website to register right now. And uh, any of these things, if you'd like to find out more and can't find them, just remember text, 90, uh, text CBC Connect to the number 97,000. And uh, this is the part of our service where we remind uh, those of us who have gathered together as a church family here that everything we have belongs to the Lord. And so we purpose each week to set aside a portion of what God's entrusted to us for the work that he's doing here through CBC. And I just wanna highlight that if you are our guests here, what I'm going to say is not directed at you. We didn't invite you to ask you for money. Uh, this is a reminder for those who've joined together as a church family at CBC. If you're our guest, we just wanna give you that gift. Stop by the welcome desk and we're glad you're with us. But for those of us who are here uh, partnering in ministry, you can give in a couple of ways. Remember, you can give online at cbctrenton.com or using the Church Center app. There's a give button on the bottom main menu there or you can use one of the physical donation boxes here at the Ministry Center. We have one next to the welcome desk, as well as one on the outside of the building that's available all week long. And that's it for our announcements this morning. I wanna turn our attention now to God's word for our morning scripture reading from Ecclesiastes chapter four. There we read, two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. A cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Now let's stand together to sing Man of Sorrows before our message from God's word.
You may be seated. Senior high can be dismissed to go to their classes, and that includes those who are starting sixth grade this fall. So if you fit into that category, then you can escape the auditorium and go to your, go to your class. And we're doing that. It's unusual. We don't normally have our teens uh, outside the auditorium for our worship time, but we're doing that through the month of uh, July. And then on August 1st, first Sunday in August, we will be starting back with our full complement of services on Sunday morning, 9.30 for worship, and then 11.15 for our educational hour with a fellowship time in between. Proverbs 17. The Bible can be compared to a mirror and a portrait and also a window. It serves as a mirror for us in that we look into its pages and we see ourselves as we truly are. It serves as a portrait because it shows us a picture of Christ, the way we're supposed to be. And it's like a window through which we see the world. Now, it's not simply a transparent window, but rather a tinted one, so that I see the world through a biblical lens, a biblical perspective, a biblical worldview. The Bible shows me the way it is with me personally and the way it is with the world in general and also the way it's supposed to be for me and for everyone else. In showing us the way it's supposed to be, that includes the fact that the Bible teaches that we were made as humanity for community. We were made to live in relationship to one another. You see that in the second chapter of the Bible, at the very outset of human history. God said it is not good for humans to be alone. Now, we normally associate that with marriage, and, and rightly so, but the principle applies to all humanity, whether married or not. We were made as social beings. We were made to be in relationship with one another. But sin messes everything up. The Lord God had fellowship with the first man and woman, but immediately after they chose to obey God, everything changed. It changed between them and God. It changed between them and each other. It changed between them and their world. And now humanity that had known God and related to Him freely and openly hides from Him and from each other. And now we begin to use God's good gifts for our own ends rather than for His. I hoard and I value His gifts more than the giver. So that, for example, money comes, becomes a, a rival for my devotion to God. Other things uh, are potential idols as well. Things like comfort and pleasure or reputation. Rather than using what God has given for His purposes, I now pervert those for my own ends. As we've seen in our study of Proverbs, let's remember what wisdom is. Wisdom is skillful living. It involves using what we've been given as directed, using it for the purpose for which it was given. But because of sin... I use God's gifts foolishly, misdirecting and misappropriating them 
for me rather than God. In other words, I use them foolishly. So now this good gift of community, of companionship, of friendship, of relationship with others is characterized by hiding. It's characterized by deceit. I don't show my true self because people can hurt me the same way I can hurt others. And so in the words of that great theologian, Billy Joel, honesty is such a lonely word, everyone is so untrue. Honesty is hardly ever heard, but mostly what I need from you. This social component to our lives is so important to who we are as God's image bearers. Relationships are so crucial in our becoming what we were made to be that God gives instruction in his word for how we're to pursue our relationships. And he gives us the remedy for them when they go wrong. God wants us to be restored in our relationship to him and to each other. And our relationship to him will guide our interaction with others and our friendship hear this, with each other, is designed to strengthen our fellowship with God. So today we're going to see from the book of Proverbs what friends are for. Or in the words of the title to today's message, how to be a friend indeed. Let's bow then and ask God to help us. Father, we thank you that we are before you. We thank you that we have before us your word to us. And now we ask you to instruct us, and we ask you to help us to take seriously, give the most attention, the most seriousness to what we read here, and seek to make application of it to our lives so that we can better bring glory to you, the very thing for which we were made. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, each week we provide an outline so that you can follow along with the message. You should have received that on your way into the auditorium. And I say, first of all, in that outline, this, approve your friends before you choose them. To approve your friends means to determine whether they meet your approval. And that requires having a standard against which to evaluate. So what characteristics should I be looking for in a friend? Verse 17 of Proverbs 17. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for a time of adversity. The first characteristic for which you should look in a friend is faithfulness. One commentator says, when it says at all times, it allows no exceptions, no mitigating circumstances. The second line in that verse, a brother is born for a time of adversity, is parallel with the first line, equating then a brother and a friend. So a brother, whether by blood and family or by covenant with one another that we will be friends, knows that the very reason for his life, what he, the verse says, is born for, is to stand by a friend and help him in difficulty and hardship, adversity. We sometimes speak of fair-weather friends, but foul-weather friends are the only ones worth having. If you'll turn to the next chapter, chapter 18, and look with me at verse 24. Verse 24 of chapter 18, 
One who has unreliable friends soon comes to ruin. But there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. This category of so-called friends are unreliable because they're casual. They're not the faithful friend that we saw in chapter 17. The first line in this verse is translated this way in the New American Standard Bible. It says, a man of too many friends comes to ruin. The idea is that this is someone who has lots of companions, lots of people around that may, they may be called friends, but who have not been vetted well. And in fact, are just hangers-on who won't be there when the going gets tough. But the good news is there is such a thing as a real friend. One who, the verse says, sticks closer than a brother. Sticks, meaning is glued to you with more determined devotion than would be expected of a brother. Old Testament scholar David Allen Hubbard wrote this regarding Proverbs 18.24. Superficial friendships cannot be counted on and should be avoided. Since what we really need are not more casual acquaintances who have no stake in our welfare, but a few, perhaps only one, true friend to stand by us through thick and thin. Friendship inflation was how a friend of mine, a Greek scientist raised in Germany, labeled our American habit of making lots of friends quickly and then dropping them lightly. The bonds that tie persons together in friendship are too precious to be made of the cheap material of convenience. Choosing such a friend and being such a friend are among life's major decisions. Happy are those who treat that decision with high respect. As important as our success and achievement, relationship outranks them by several steps. The grand commands of Scripture spotlight this. Love God, love your neighbor, love one another as I have loved you. Israel's potential leaders who were being instructed in the book of Proverbs had to be taught this or they would fail in their governmental and familial responsibilities. And we, on this side of Christ's first advent, His incarnation, know even more of the centrality of love for family and friends. As Christians, we have joined a community for which brotherly and sisterly love is the hallmark. Philadelphia was what the Greeks called it, and it's the word used in the New Testament for brotherly and sisterly love. William Penn gave that name to a town he thought would mark a breakthrough in community life. And then Hubbard says this in a wonderful turn of phrase. Only a few of us may live in that kind of city, but all of us, by God's grace, can inhabit that state. Meaning, that state of being in faithful relationship with others. So approve your friends before you choose them. Because, I say in the outline, good friends are beneficial. Proverbs 27 says this famously, as iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. When iron is rubbed against another piece of iron, it shapes and sharpens it. It's saying that people can help each other improve by their discussions, by their criticisms, their suggestions, and their ideas. This kind of interaction helps develop and mold character. 
In fact, when it says one person sharpens another, it's literally in Hebrew, one person sharpens the face of another. It means it molds the personality and the character of another. Proverbs 13 says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. These passages teach that true friends help us get better. They help us improve. And then Proverbs 27 says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Wounds from a friend can be trusted, but an enemy multiplies kisses. You see, if a person's love is genuine, then they will not fear to tell their friend about a fault or to correct them. That's better than hidden meaning literally closed up or withdrawn love. In other words, correcting a person's fault is an evidence of love, but failing to correct them shows that one's love is withdrawn. They just don't care enough. Hear this, a love that does not include rebuke is morally useless. This aspect of love can be painful for the one who receives it. So the verse says it wounds. And therefore, it takes courage to do it. But a true friend loves enough to risk it. So what characteristics should I look for in a true friend? We saw that it's someone who is faithful to you, come what may. But the second is that it's someone who's willing to communicate in honesty toward you, to you, and about you. One preacher said, now, these proverbs are not meant to unleash reckless mouthing off and self-appointed critics who think you really need their opinions. But these proverbs are about a true friend in your life who is making you better by respectful confrontation. And that's because the Bible says, let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. A real friend will provoke and challenge you. You will not agree with everything your friend says, but you should want to listen. And we all need that. Our various family backgrounds, all of us, have left every one of us at least a little weird. So we need an honest friend from outside the tightly knit family to round us out. Every one of us needs to go to another person and say, help me see myself. Help me get sharper for Christ. And I'm thankful that I have people like that in my life. Pastor Rich and I go back to high school. He's had plenty of occasions to bust my chops over one thing or another, but to my benefit. Likewise with Dr. Combs and Pastor Larry. With Pastor Larry, I can never really tell because he's smiling and he's just so nice. I can never really tell. <laughs> and of course, my wife, Kim. And I know all of them love me and they have my best interest at heart and so I listen even when it may hurt. So friends, look for people who are honest and selfless in their words and actions. As you interact with people, look for that. Listen for that, the person who is honest, the person who's selfless in their words and actions and mark that person as a potential friend in hopes they'll be selfless on your behalf. So approve your friends before you choose them because good ones are beneficial 
but also because bad friends are harmful. Proverbs 22 says, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered, or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Now, this is similar to what we read in the New Testament in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Bad company corrupts good character. Now, notice that that verse is in quotation marks because it's a quote from a Greek poet, Menander, who expresses some common grace wisdom that what you're around can influence you. I recall my mentor, Pastor Steve Thomas, of our parent church where I served for 16 years, saying that when he was in college, he worked a summer doing construction where the crew played country music loudly every day. He said about a month into it, he found himself humming and then singing country even though he hated country. What you're around can influence you. So Proverbs 24 says, Fear the Lord and the King, my son, and do not join with rebellious officials. Do not join the rebellious. What's it mean? Well, that verse is also translated this way. My son, fear the Lord and the King. Do not associate with those who are given to change. That is, the rebellious are those given to change. So it's a, a warning against hanging with those who want to uproot quickly what's been built over time. It's not saying that there should be no change, but that those who think change is an end in itself, that destruction is constructive, whether destroying property or institutions, they are to be avoided. And I just say to this group, my brothers and sisters, my dear friends, true conservatives seek to conserve. They seek to conserve what is good and are willing to change what is not. Riots are not conservative, no matter where they take place, nor who leads them, nor who incites them. Do not associate or listen to people who advocate it or cover up for it. Bad friends are harmful. So here's some application of that then. Parents. We need to help our children in choosing friends. If you see your children hanging around the so-called wrong crowd, yes, the crowd will have ill effect. But remind your children that what they want and choose says something as important about them as it does about the crowd. We often focus so much on the crowd that we forget about the heart of the one gravitating toward that crowd. And this, of course, has obvious application to marriage. You don't consider marrying anyone who has not been approved by the standards of the Word of God. I would suggest, if you're contemplating marriage, that you get advice from people that you consider to be steeped in the Word of God, that you get some, some wise counsel on that. That, in fact, you go through premarital counseling is an advertisement, but we do that here. You should go out of your way to approve the most important human relationship you will ever have, doing it very, very carefully. Approve your friends before you choose them. And secondly, improve your friends after 
you choose. Yes, choose friends that can improve you, but be the kind of friend that can improve others. I mentioned earlier that foul-weather friends are the only ones worth having. It's also true that they're the only ones worth being. As we think about gaining faithful friends, we should also think about being faithful friends. To improve your friends, to help them grow, you need to do the three things I have in your outline. First, understand where they need to go. Remember, relationship is for discipleship. That is, God has given us the gift of friendship so that we can be instruments in His hand for His good purpose to be change agents in the lives of others. So what's the end game? What's the goal that we are to seek for our own lives and invest in for the lives of others? Romans 8.29 says, Those God foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. 2 Corinthians 3 says we are being transformed into his image with ever-increasing glory. That's the end game, that we become like Christ, that we're transformed into his image. We were made in God's image originally to reflect God's character back to God in the way we think and talk and act. That image has been marred but not erased by sin, and God is in the process of repairing the broken mirrors that we all are. As long as there is distance between our character and God's, and that will be the case for all of us this side of heaven, then there's room for us to change, and we should welcome the opportunity to do so. So to improve your friends, you need to understand where it is they need to go. And where is it they need to go? Where is it we all need to go to be conformed to the image of Christ? And secondly, you need to evaluate where they are. John 3.16 is the most well-known verse in the Bible. God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. I say that's the most well-known, but... I'm convinced that Matthew chapter 7 and verse 1 is probably a close second where Jesus said, do not judge or you too will be judged. Many Americans, if they know no other passage in the Bible, they at least know this one. So they can shoot it back at anyone who deigns to tell them they're wrong or they need to change in some way. Don't judge me. Didn't Jesus say not to judge? Well, not quite. If we take this to mean we cannot make judgments at all, then we've misunderstood it. In context, Jesus was not prohibiting all judgment. In fact, the next verse says this, For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged, and with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Jesus goes on then to talk about removing the log from your head before you see the speck in someone else's eye. He was not condemning all judgment, rather he was condemning hypocritical judgment. In fact, just a few verses later, he commands something that requires judgment. He says this, do not give dogs what is sacred, do not throw your pearls to pigs. 
Determining what is a dog and what is a pig requires making an evaluation, even when we're talking about actual dogs and pigs. But in this context, he's talking about people who are contemptuous of our message. Determining who that is requires an evaluation. It requires a judgment. To be perfectly clear, that Jesus, nor any other passage of Scripture, condemns all judgment, Jesus said elsewhere, stop judging by mere appearances, but instead, judge correctly. Judge correctly. And the Apostle Paul said this, the person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. Christians are told this in regard to our spiritual responsibilities to one another. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. Again, it requires an evaluation. It requires a judgment that the person has something that needs restoration. One of the positive aspects of cancel culture is it's actually based on a truth we all inherently know. Whether, whether Christian or not, namely, that life cannot function apart from evaluation. Now, that evaluation may be accurate or not, may be fair or not, it may be charitable or not, but it's nevertheless necessary. It was never true that we could operate without judging. We can certainly function without being judgmental, that, has it, that is, having an attitude of superiority over others, we cannot function without judging. And in order to help one another, in order to improve one another, it means we need to lovingly and humbly evaluate. But we won't do that unless we first of all lose the false notion that all evaluation of others is wrong. So improve your friends by understanding where they need to go evaluating where they are, and then help them get there. As I said earlier, we were made in God's image originally. That image has been marred but not erased by sin. And God is in the process of repairing the broken mirrors that we all are, using our relationships as part of that process. And in Scripture, there's a, a Greek word that's used many, in many contexts to describe our mutual responsibility to one another to help grow. It's the Greek word nuthateo. It's used in several places. I'll give you a few. It's used in Romans chapter 15. The Apostle Paul, who wrote that, says, I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to, and here's the word, instruct one another. That word instruct we're going to see is translated, same Greek word, nuthetel, is translated with a few different English words. Some have translated this very verse with the word counsel one another. So that you could read that you're competent to counsel one another. Instructing one another informally from the word of God in order to help. In fact, some of you know the name Jay Adams. And Jay Adams is considered by many the father of the biblical counseling movement. And in his seminal book, published in 1970, it had that very title from this verse, Competent to Counsel. 
If you know the Word of God, and you have the best interest of others at heart, and you approach them in humility, then you're competent to instruct or provide informal counsel to a friend. It's used in Colossians 1.28, our church's theme verse. He, Christ, is the one we proclaim, admonishing, there's the word, and teaching everyone with all wisdom, here's our end game, so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. So it's again to see our brothers and sisters become more like Christ, so we admonish when necessary. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 says, we urge you, brothers and sisters, and here it's translated warn, those who are idle, those who were idle in the Thessalonian church were those who were overtly sinning. In this letter in the previous chapter, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul had warned and he had instructed and said everyone should be busy working with their own hands so that they won't be an unnecessary burden to the body. And he says warn those who aren't doing that. Warn those who are sinning by not doing that, who are idle. The same Greek word, nuthateo, is translated there then as warn. And when you put it all together, you come up with a definition of how a nuthetic friendship functions. It involves this. Loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. Loving confrontation with the truth for the purpose of change. Now, as you read that, you may be shuddering. Ooh, confrontation. Icky. Bad, don't like. When we read the word con confrontation, it has a connotation that's negative. We often think of that as a hostile encounter. But notice the modifier. It's a, it's a loving confrontation from one who knows you, loves you, has your best interest at heart desires to see you grow in Jesus, and so is willing to take it on with the truth for the purpose of change. I mentioned that the beginning, in the beginning that sin causes us to use what God has given for our purposes rather than His. And that's one of the reasons that we don't have the courage and the willingness to do this. Because God's agenda in that friendship, as is His agenda in everything in His world, is that it be used in order to bring people to reflect Him, to glorify Him. But we're more comfortable with the status quo. And because of that, we don't have the courage to take it on. We're using it for our purposes rather than, than His. And this tendency on our part is embodied in this famous quote, from biblical counselor Ed Welch. He says, regarding other people, our problem is that we need them for ourselves more than we love them for the glory of God. We need them for ourselves more than we love them for the glory of God. It takes courage to be used as an instrument of change in the lives of others. But biblically speaking, that's what friends are for. So find friends like that. 
Ask yourself, do I have friends like that? Am I a friend like that? There's risk. I've lost people. I have lost acquaintances. I've lost friendships in taking this on. I hate that. But I'm willing to risk it for something more important. So find friends like that. How? Let me give you just some simple suggestions. You have in this room many potential people who could be that person. But you'll only know that if you hang around with those people. <laughs> so I urge you, stick around after church. Sometimes, you know, I try to, when I'm done here, I try to make my way to the door so that I can see as many people on the way out. But sometimes I'm afraid I'm going to get stampeded. And I'm being facetious. And, you know, I'm saying this today, some of you may have an appointment you need to get to, and you're going to walk out and you're going to say, Pastor's looking at me, and he just said, stick around. So if you've got to go somewhere, go. We won't judge you, okay? But make it a habit to stick around. Talk to people. Get to know people. Let those people get to know you. Stick around after church. Now, we're going to start up in August our full complement of services, as I mentioned, worship, and then we have about 30 minutes in between worship and our educational hour for fellowship. Most of you know that. That's an ideal time to do that. But be in the mix. Talk to people. Introduce yourself to people. Introduce others to people. Secondly, participate in events. You're in a body. People ought to know who you are. You ought to know who they are. The way that comes about is because you're there. You're there at events. Participate in all of the events that you can, the fellowships that we have. I recommend you request a growth partner. We have a ministry called Growth Partners. Many of you are aware of that. If you send CBC Connect to 97,000 via text, you can ask about the Growth Partner Ministry, but we will pair you with another brother or sister, woman with a woman, man with a man, to be what the name suggests, a growth partner, and give you some material to go through. You'll go through the material, that'll help you grow, but the friendship is a major part of what we want to see come out of that. So find friends like that, friends who meet the characteristics that we've talked about. They are foul-weather friends, and they're willing to be honest with you because they're willing to risk it for the glory of Christ. Find friends like that and seek to be a friend like that. So here's your take-home truth. Friendship is helping another become like Jesus. Let's bow together. Our Father, we thank you again for the privilege of being able to be together, sing praise to your name, open your word, and be instructed. We thank you, Lord, that as our Creator, making us in your image, with your purposes for us, you have not left us to grope in the darkness with regard to what we are to do and what we are to be about. You have made it very clear that we are to reflect you back to you.
that your glory is such that it should and deserves to be seen throughout your universe. And in particular, in the creatures that you made to do that very thing. But sin has disrupted that. And so, Lord, you have implemented a process of change so that we gradually are restored to what we were made to be. And as part of that, we have the privilege of being instruments in your hands, tools for the master's use in the lives of others. Help us, Lord, to see that as the grand privilege that it is. And even though it does require courage, and even though it does carry some risk, you and your glory are worth it. So help us determine to determine to find friends who can be that in our lives and help us by your grace to be those friends in others' lives. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together for our closing song.
May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Thank you, CBC family and guests, for being with us. Have a great week serving.